Good morning, everyone. This is your host, Kareem Kanji, and welcome to my podcast. Thanks, everyone, for coming here. If you don't already and you listen to me via Apple Podcasts, please consider subscribing and uh, giving me a rating as well as a review. It uh, helps this podcast climb up the charts and uh, exposes it to more people, and that would be awesome. You can also find me on Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and really any podcast player that is out there. Today, my guest is Kita Edwards-Pierre. She is a life and business coach, a thought leader, a motivational speaker, and founder of True to Soul Network, which enables and empowers people in their recovery, healing, and transformation challenges. Had a great conversation with Kita soon after the U.S. election. So, of course, we are all happy that Trump has lost. And if you are a Trump supporter, you can just go right ahead and unsubscribe uh, from this podcast because we don't love him here. Anyways, uh, Kita is a 27-year, she just finished a 27-year career uh, as a police officer. So we talked about uh, her work there, um, how she got started, uh, and her current work in empowering people. Great conversation. Here is Kita Edwards-Pierre. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You All know? Right. How about you? Yeah. Doing good. <laughs> all, all things considered. I know, I know. You know, that's always with the, the caveat of, uh, you know, in light of everything that's happening. Yeah. I feel very blessed. You know, I also believe that uh, once we survive something, there are nuggets to be gained, right, from it. If it's wiped us out, then we, we don't have the consciousness to say, okay, I wish. We just out. But, okay, uh, so 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 tell me, what are you, what 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 have you been learning, recently? Recently, being within the last year, right? I've been learning lots. Uh, well, let's start. Let's start with. Start with <laughs> I know that's a good big question. I'm glad you got me. You saw me before I got going because that could have been a long. Let's a long. let's start with what have you, you know, uh, all things considered, what have you learned over the past few days? This few week. days. Hmm. So there are a few things. One is not to sweat the small stuff. Um, and the thing about lessons for me is that it's, it's an onion. It's always ongoing. I could say, oh yeah, I got it. I'm good. I'm good. And then you find yourself, I find myself maybe months, weeks, days, hours after I said, I got it still reverting back to something because it may be like in a synaptic connection that I've not really reprogrammed yet. So over the last few days, I remembered, don't sweat the small stuff. I, I learned uh, just taking it easy in my gardens because we just had our frost last week. So I had the, uh, the fortune of being able to put my gardens to bed, working with my partner to get our yard taken care of, which was nice. It wasn't oriented on the business. It wasn't oriented on anything except for just connecting uh, with the yard and the, the earth and getting things done. I learned um, that if I don't watch it, I'll fill my days just over full. So need to just be mindful with what I put in my days and is it really what I wanna do? Is my, my energy being expended in a valuable way for me? Nice, nice. Have you learned anything um, or maybe you already knew, so maybe you tell me that, but have you learned anything with this circus over the past week or more specifically over the past four or five years in mm. the U.S. specifically and how that has overtaken a lot of discussions around, you know, what is leadership? What does it mean to be empathetic? Uh, what, what kind of world do we live in? Do we really know our neighbors? Things like that. Hmm. And just let me confirm, is it Kareem or Karim? Kareem. Kareem is good. Kareem. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Because I like to, 
to actually speak to the person that yeah, I'm yeah, speaking yeah. with, you know? Sure. And uh, so what I was going to say, you know, Kareem, is that <laughs> when it comes to, you know, leadership, I find that we have this, uh, this kind of narrow description or def def definition of what it is sometimes. And the reality is we've had leaders that have done atrocious things, but people mm -hmm. have followed them. So if you look at the, the bare naked skeleton of leadership, it doesn't actually have a good or bad to it. It just, ha what it has is will people actually follow this person? Are they inspired somehow, motivated? Are they moved? And we've had people like Hitler uh, followed. Mm -hmm. Does that mean, mean he was less of a leader? No. And would I uh, invite Hitler or Trump to my dinner table? No, because okay. I'm not aligned. <laughs> I'm not aligned with what it is that they represented. But I look at them and I see, I look and study these people to see what is it about what they do, how they're being, that somehow rallied masses. And over the last four or five years, what I would say that I learned from the U.S. in particular, it, it was a big lesson. One, it, it showed me how complacent we've become, um, how kind of asleep and uh, just numbed we'd become. Uh, he woke us up, and I'm not giving him points for that. What I'm saying is the reality is they had the biggest turnout ever pre-election in the States. Uh -huh. It wasn't because of um, the same thing happening over and over again. It's because something so different happened. It woke people up and said, hey, we got to do something if we want something different. He woke up something different. So, but at the same time, sorry, I, I don't want to interrupt. I want to add to that. Yes. Right? Yes. Because, Kata, at the same time mm -hmm. that, for example, they're saying that Biden has garnered more votes uh, than anyone has ever garnered. Mm -hmm. uh, Trump has garnered more votes than anybody else as well, outside mm -hmm. of Biden this year, right? So, so while he's sort of woken up people saying, oh my goodness, what have we done? It seems he's also woken up other people going, oh, we, we still want this guy. See, that was my next point. Okay, all right. That was my next point. But, and that point has to do not less with the waking up. What he did, uh -huh. he didn't wake up those people. He okay. revealed them. So one mm -hmm. of the things we have up here in Canada is this kind of, oh, you know, racism doesn't really exist, though. You know, is there really a thing like that happening up here? We're the great north, and we don't indulge in those types of behavior. Um, and in the States, even though it's a lot more overt, there were yes. people that were undercover. There were people that would say one thing and do another. And people were able to hide behind illusions and delusions and facades and, and pretend like there wasn't really an issue. So what he did is he revealed, because for me, Trump isn't the actual issue for me. What is the issue is how he got in there. Trump didn't just walk in there of his own accord and say, okay, I'm going to be president now. People voted him in. Uh -huh. That's what we should be paying attention to. You actually pointed it out and you saying, so many people are actually supporting him. Why is it so close right now? Why was it not a landslide to say, hey, we don't want this? Yeah. The scarier part is that it is so close. So that is the part to pay attention to for us to realize, yeah, the complacency is no longer okay. It's not. It's not okay to say, I don't know. I'm just kind of on the fence. I, I, I can't really decide. It's like, I'm not one of those people. I don't convert. I don't believe in conversion. I don't believe in say, choosing, saying choose a side. What I believe in is find what your truth is and speak it out loud because it's important. It counts. When, when we have such a close race, what we're seeing is this this kind of angst that people want something different because I've spoken to people who support Trump. I, I had to, I had to understand, I was curious why you're intelligent. And I'm not saying Trump supporters are not intelligent. What I'm saying is when Trump was voted in, I had to find out, I had to ask people who supported Trump, why would you vote as a female, someone who has pretty well self-proclaimed himself a, a 
a misogynist. Like he didn't use the words, but I mean, <laughs> all the gathered evidence we have in media shows yeah. us that this guy has, how could you as a woman support? Um, I would ask people, you know, how could you as, as someone who um, is seeking support for people who are um, struggling with poverty, people who are struggling to uh, make ends meet and, meet and deal with socioeconomic um, adversity, vote for someone who's never seen that kind of adversity in his life. He was literally born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And what I got across the board for all these different questions that I asked is that I want something different. I'm tired. Oh. I'm tired. I just want something different. And you couldn't get as different as Trump. What about this time? time. This time? Yeah. What we got, I haven't spoken to anybody. I haven't spoken to anybody because we're not done yet. And <laughs> I don't, <laughs> apparently. And um, this is a different question. This is a different, because I now um, have enough of what I need to understand why he ha it happened in the first place. Now I'm curious as to how people are gonna deal with the reality that this is coming to the forefront. This adversity is no longer an undercover thing. People are openly behaving in ways that are exceptionally um, uh, intolerant, exceptionally um, um, antagonistic. Mm. People are feeling safe to behave in very racist, sexist, um, intolerable, uh, unsafe ways. How are, go are we gonna deal with that? We can no longer say and pretend that it doesn't exist because it's in the face. So going back to what we were first talking about, how I was saying there, people are becoming more woke. People are being woken up because this stuff does not feel good. On the other end of things, people are feeling more brazen. So you have people who are more woke and willing to do things that they before would just kind of say, eh, I, that's not, that doesn't belong to me. It has nothing to do with me. But people are now kind of like, I may not look that way, but I don't want that in this world for, for my children. I don't want that sure. in this world for me, right? And then on the other side, people are like, I hold the seat of power or you're gonna take something away from me and I'm gonna protect it with all my might. What we're seeing here is things are coming to the forefront that oh, have, sure. have been festering, yeah, festering for a long time. It's not like it just happened. You and I both know, everybody knows these atrocities that have been you know, uh, putting gas into a fire uh, supposedly this year have existed for a long time. You know, uh, these movements that are now just popping up, people are feeling more willing to say out loud, stop, it's enough. And that is meeting the, I don't want things to change. I want to keep it as is. And what I, I perceive is going to happen is that there's going to be this, this uh, kind of standoff. Some people say, oh, it's going to be a big civil war. It's going to be this big conflict. I don't really go there because I'm not trying to fear monger, monger. I'm not trying to say, okay, you know, the world's going to end. I'm not the sky's falling type of person. What I believe is that there's going to be a shift, a paradigm shift in the way things are going to operate mm -hmm. because we're no longer willing to pretend. Neither side is willing to pretend. So what that brings is authentic interaction. And authentic interaction doesn't always feel good. It doesn't always look good. But what I know for a fact, because I've lived it as a survivor of physical, sexual, racial trauma, is that there's a calm before the storm and there's a calm after the storm. It's a storm that people are scared of. Huh. Interesting. I, I... I think I agree with you, but at the same time, there's so many different, you know, we sort of, we want to, it's easier for us to sort of identify two sides, mm -hmm. right? It just makes the narrative easy. Yeah. But I was speaking with a friend of mine last week, I think, or maybe the week before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she lives down in the States. And I said, what do you do this weekend? Uh, what do you do on your day off? And she says, oh, I finally voted. Mm -hmm. I said, awesome, vote for Biden. She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she said something that struck me. She says, Kareem, it was hard. And I was like, like the voting, did you wait long? Oh, no, no, no. I, it was hard to pick Biden. Mm. And it floored me, Kate. I'm like, it was hard to pick Biden over Trump? <laughs> she goes, yeah, Kareem, you don't understand. And I go, what? Okay. I can... <laughs> Like you said, okay, you, you give the guy, you know, you give everybody a mulligan. Okay, you, you, you were sick and tired of the system. 
you vote for this clown. Fine, I'll give you that. I still don't understand it, but I'll give it to you. But after four or five years of every day, I said, I don't understand. And this is what she said to me that it didn't click until, I don't know, a week after. Mm. She said, Kareem, Biden's a socialist. He's, he's going to raise taxes. Uh, she lives in the New York, New Jersey area. She says, it's getting more violent here. You know, and I sort of retorted quickly. I said, yeah, it's getting more violent and Trump's the president. And, you know, uh, he did a big tax break. How much money did you get? She said, nothing. It, it, but then it didn't click. Those weren't the, you know, those were things she said, but it didn't click until later where I said, okay, I know her. She's a good person. I said, I, what, what was it that, why was it hard? And then it dawned on me, it says, there's also those people that are selfish. Mm-hmm. And not that they would identify mm-hmm. as selfish. Like if I were to ask her, I said, I said hey, are you selfish? Mm-hmm. Or if I said, hey, you're selfish. She would go, Kareem, I go to church, I donate, I take care of my, I'm not selfish. But there's this thing about, and I think it's a, mm-hmm. See, in Canada, things are different, mm-hmm. right? I'm not worried if I get laid off next month. I enjoy my job. Um, I don't want to get laid off. <laughs> but at Just the putting same that time, out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that there's a social safety net mm-hmm. for Canadians. Um, I'm still going to be able to access health care. Um, there's my parents a mile away. My brother way in the east end, my sister down, like there's the worst off it's going to be is we'll be living with my past, the worst that's going to happen, you know, but in the States, it's like every man, every woman for themselves, you know, and, and it's either, do I want to vote for a guy that's nice? Yeah, but I'll never meet him. Mm. Or, or do I want to vote for a guy that's literally like you said, I'd never invite him over, mm-hmm. but there's a chance my taxes will go down, mm-hmm. right? There's a chance that they won't shut businesses down and I'll continue to have a job mm. because there is no social safety net, you know, in America. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if, if that could also be a reason that just the culture in the States is like, I don't care who's the president, it could be red, it could be blue, could be a woman, could be a man, it could be, I don't care the color. I want more money. Show yeah. me the money. Yeah. I mean, in, in the space of what you just said, I feel like we're able to go into another level of discussion around this, but there's another level that I, that I operate with when it comes to all of this that has nothing to do with the flag, nothing to do with the blue and red, but sticking with that for a minute, capitalism is what this is all structured on. And if people if people want the success and the money more than they want to care for the planet, let's say, or for the fellow man or woman or child or human being, then yeah, they, they may have a little bit of angst about that. It depends on what people's bottom line is and it depends on how their hierarchy of needs are being met. And so, so you know, Trump, like you, you just pointed out, it may not even be about change. It may be, they look at Trump and say, hmm, I mean, yeah, he went bankrupt seven times, but he's doing pretty well. I want me some of that, yeah. right? It's just, it's just kind of like, just this kind of survival mechanism that people believe the hype when they feel that anything too far to the left won't allow them that luxury, won't allow them that access because there'll be too much money given out to everybody. It'll be spread too thin. So let me get that guy that, yeah, there are going to be some fallout moments. He's going to screw a few people in order to get me what I want, but I'm willing to look the other way t- to allow that to happen. Mm. I'll put him there in there anyway. And I'm pretty sure there are quite a few people who think like that. And I'm not naive enough to think that doesn't exist up here too, because it does. We just wrap it up differently. We, yeah. we, we call it something different, right? Because capitalism is something that's worldwide. And I have no issue with that. I'm a businesswoman. I, you know, that's not my issue. What I, what I feel is the issue, and this is where, you know, we go into that different realm is that 
what we're dealing with here is more than just the red and, and blue flag. And what we're dealing with is more than Trump or Biden, which Biden, one can argue, is representative of the same system that people had an issue with in the first place, why yeah. they didn't vote Hillary in, sure. right? Um, you know, if they really want to change, how much change, more change can you get than a female leader of one of the, the, the most powerful countries in, you know, in the world, right? So it wasn't just that, even though people said, yeah, I just wanted change. They wanted something that would rock the foundation of what has been <laughs> built, right? Yeah. And they're succeeding, right? So for me, looking beyond these flags and these constructs that we have, these flags that even exist up here, um, I, I don't believe in them anymore. I don't because I feel, you know, in my job, in my, uh, you know, the different work that I've done, I've seen those people who are supposedly on both, you know, polar opposites of arguments of, of principles. When everything's said and done, the performance is over. It's like, hey, you want to go for a drink? Yeah. <laughs> they drink together, they eat together, they're at each other's homes. It's, it's a construct, it's a facade, it's a play. And uh, people lap it up because we want that divisiveness. We want the conflict. We want people to be on opposing sides. But really it, what it is, is it's, it's, it's something that feeds a distraction from what really matters. So, you know, social consciousness is now something that people are yearning for more and more and more. And part of the reason why um, people have a problem with, with what Trump is doing is because it's regressing from where we've been evolving to. Hmm. We've been evolving to a level where it's like, you know, yeah, that's across the planet. It, it, it really has nothing to do with me, but I feel, I feel something. And I'm okay, I want to feel it. I'm okay with feeling it. Whereas maybe 10, 20 years ago, it was not okay. It, we didn't want to feel the pain. You know, going further back, leave, leave it to Beaver, all these different types of shows, you know, um, a different world, Bill Cosby show, all these things we wanted because we just wanted to have this bubble of, I feel good, life is good, nothing's wrong up there, it's over there, it's not over here. And now we're entering a phase where it's like, no, there's shit going on. Sorry, is this a... Am That's I fine. To say that? Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> there's stuff going on and I'm okay with the discomfort. I'm okay with the discomfort because that's going to lead me somewhere else and I'll be able to do something about it. I feel purpose. I'll feel like my life isn't just going, grabbing a check, getting some food, stuffing my face and sleeping. There's something more. And so the, the next level up from all of this going on is that um, people are starting to realize that we can influence more than just what's in the, the room around us, within the house around us. We're able to influence more by decisions we're making. And some people are going, yes, on a side that we would judge as wrong. They'll say, uh, yeah, I want Trump and I want all that comes with Trump. But they're waking up as well in their own way, right? We're waking up, and I say we, I try not to, the divisiveness and the constructs yeah. I'm actually moving myself away from it purposely and consciously day in and day out in different little ways because I'm a Matrix fan, Matrix fan the movie, for instance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Number for me, that whole, coming out. <laughs> I heard, <laughs> you know, about, you know, the whole story about the, the script and how it was used and taken and, oh, do you know about this? Okay. Used so taken by... Yeah, okay, so it was written by uh, a woman, and I won't get into the names quite yet, but there's a woman who wrote the script. Yeah. And you know how yeah. directors, they you know, put calls out and they, they get some scripts and whatever. So apparently the script was obtained and used and the movie was made, but the credit was not actually given to this woman who actually created the script. Terminator oh. came out of it, Matrix came out of it. And so I'd you know, love to chat with you about that another time, but oh my gosh, I spoke with her. When you look at the Oracle, when I first saw the movie, I got so much out of it. I said, I am going to speak to the person that birthed this thing. That was years ago. And then um, at some point, I got the opportunity to speak to the woman. And it's this longstanding um, suit in different states between this woman and the- So was the, it the two sisters? The two sisters. It wasn't it? them that wrote it. No. Oh, I uh -uh. didn't know that. So you know how you could see the difference between Matrix 3 and 1? And if you look at interviews, um, of the sisters uh, before, pre, you know, when at the beginning, there was not a, a full explanation as to the, like the profound um, messaging coming out of this movie because they didn't write the script. So the, the differences between two, three, 
is because that they were not the originators of the script. Now, for me, before, at the beginning, I was kind of upset. I was like, you know, that's wrong. I swear off anything by the sisters. And, and then I saw Sense8, and I was like, oh, okay. Fine. Oh, what a show. <laughs> I was like, I got to watch this, though. I got to watch this. And what I realized, again, every, for me, I think everything, the way I think about things is that it happens for a reason. Yes. And they took it to a magnitude that I feel maybe it wouldn't have made it up there to that magnitude had it not been for them. So Matrix, that the messaging for, that I take from that pertaining to our discussion is that, you know, there's lots of stuff that we're fed. Oh. You know, we're fed lots of stuff all the time. You're drinking the Kool-Aid, we're deciding what we're going to believe, what we're going to perpetuate, what we're going to abstain from, you know. Um, but if we choose just to numb out and go in autopilot, we're anybody's puppet. So this election, um, I find intriguing. When we have our own elections, when we have stuff going on here, I find it intriguing. But I don't often just pay attention to the flags. What I'm paying attention to, for instance, up here is, what was that politician doing from the time he or she made it onto the stage up until now? Forget the flag for a moment. Did they say what they were gonna do? Did they do what they say they were gonna do from the beginning? And how well have they kept up? Have they been vocal? Have they been active? Or do, do they just suck air and then when it's time to vote, like all of a sudden they're on everybody's doorstep. Now, that may land me in the, the uh, red camp, so to speak, <laughs> for a minute, right? That may put me in the conservative side, sorry, the different, different countries. The conservative side of things with a representative, if I'm just looking at the politician as opposed to the flag. And I actually don't care anymore. I don't care about the flag as much as I care about the person who's actually, um, you know, filling the role of politician. And huh. so that that ability to think outside of the box is actually integral. The the, the critical analysis, the ability to just like divest ourselves of the the rules that we've been fed, so that we can understand the game understand how we want to perpetuate the rules, understand how we want to bend the rules and how, understand which rules we want to break. Because the way that we've constructed our society, the way that we've constructed every aspect of it, the industries, the, the um, whether we're talking about the, the systems, justice system, education system, the health system, all of that, they're amazing. It's a blessing to be here. But with that said, we are evolving to a point where we need fundamental change in all those systems, including our political system. We have evolved to a point where, you know, the social consciousness is becoming truly important, where um, things that were not important years ago, decades ago, are now important. How do we make the systems that we've built fit the new us, the new, the, the new evolved societies that we're becoming? We can't. We keep band-aid solutioning them as if we can make them stretch. And then we get surprised when they break, when we have jackpots and all kinds of atrocities happening all over the place. It's because we got broke systems trying to uh, fit us as a, new, as a growing society. And so we're not courageous enough collectively to say, yeah, let's facilitate a paradigm shift. We kind of revert back to what's familiar. We revert back to what, what we feel might work just to make it work so we don't have to think about it. Just, just make it work. But I said the other day in an interview that it's like trying to put a teenager into a five-year-old's clothes. That's what we're doing with this stuff, with the justice, police, legal system, with the health system, even up here as a blessing that you mentioned that it is. There are things within it that are so broken, mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't mean that to, to point out what needs to change that we don't appreciate it. That's a fallacy that we live under as well. That yeah. as long as we, we don't question it, we're being loyal. And that if we were to question it, then we're being disloyal and, and that we're being unappreciative. I am as grateful as anyone can be for where I am. And I would not change it for anything. You would not catch me if I had an opportunity um, going down south and saying, okay, I want to live here now because I just love here so much. I love Canada so much. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I don't see what's wrong, including, sure. you know, the fact that, you know, we still have this conversation that's so old about does, do the isms exist? Let's, you know, sit with the racism card for a minute. 
you know, does it exist? How do we define it? Canada is kind of not there. We're the do-good country in the world. And when you look at our history and how rift it is yep. in, in many different areas, it becomes amusing without being funny. It becomes really absurd because how, how do we, we are in such a prime position to lead with this stuff. You know, Trump says no more racial sensitivity training. Ah. And we're like, hmm, <laughs> you know, what should we do about that? It's like, well, you know what? How about we actually lead and teach and look at our own stuff and say, this is how you do it. This is why you do it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this is why that's off the rails, crazy, wrong. Like, that doesn't make any sense. We, I don't believe that um, we should always put ourselves in the position of saying, how should we respond? I, I get it. I get the question. But there are times when we should be the ones that people are looking and saying, how should we respond? We're fucking leading in some of these areas. Like, we are leading in some of these areas. I, I, it baffles my brains how um, the resources that we have here, human and otherwise, are so magnificent mm-hmm. and, and extraordinary, and yet we'll kind of give it away <laughs> or we'll neglect it and have those resources sold back to us at, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. crazy, crazy prices. Whether we're talking about entertainment, you know, we claim people after they've made it in you know, UK or the States, it's like, oh yeah, that person's Canadian. It's like, yeah. And now let's roll back to when they were here trying to like make it work in, you know, somewhere in Canada and they were getting nothing. And then they left and now we want to claim them. Yeah. You know, everything from our forestry, oil, whatever you want to talk about. We, we just seem to have this thing um, that I feel doesn't need to apply in this area. We, we have... Um, we have a full, what do you call it in poker? I don't even know why I refer to that because I don't play. But, um, <laughs> but you know, we have a hand that's really good when it comes to diversity, when it comes to inclusion. And not because we're, we're immune and we, we don't have a history, but because we've created something here that with the history that we have is exceptionally magnificent. I could go anywhere in this country and find the most amazing, amazingly rich cultures all within this one country. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's uh, and then we have cultures that we've created as an amalgamation of those different cultures. Sure. That is unique to us. Um, that's something that's so luscious, but we're so kind of like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with it that we don't realize what kind of, um, role modeling that can be for our neighbor to the south as well as anyone else in this world um you know yeah i hear you i hear you. it's interesting when you talked about uh you know, we, we like to claim people i remember you know my brother used to have ben johnson posters in his bedroom uh. um you know he was a hero you, you know mm-hmm. still living in scarborough mm-hmm. and then <clears throat> and then as soon as he gets caught for cheating, God, that that Jamaican guy. Know, right? It's like, what? It's, it's so true, though. It's so true. Right? It's like kick you to the curb quick. Yeah. Don't mess up. Don't mess up. <laughs> you're no longer Canadian if if you do. Yeah. You're no longer Canadian. You know, it's uh yeah, use and abuse, use and abuse, and it and it's funny whole the whole scapegoating thing just in general, not just there. It's everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the different industries, it's like, who's going to take the fall? You know, who's the shit going to roll down onto? Um, <laughs> it's unfortunate, though, but... Kata, uh, yes. 27 years yeah. as a police officer, mm-hmm. one would think that you would spend your, in air quotes, retirement, right? Because it's not like you've slowed down and sitting on the on your couch watching TV all day. I, I, I don't know where retirement is, in, in fact, but you're not doing that. No. Um, you know, one would think you'd be tired. You'd, you, you would have seen so much of the worst of people mm. that you would have just said, ah, 
forget this. I'm going to go down and live in Costa Rica or something like that. <laughs> Enough of this. I don't want people. I don't like people. Yeah. Enough yeah. of this. So, in fact, in fact, I want to ask you why you decided to start um, True to Soul Network. But before I get there, tell me about, um, you know, it's, it's a podcast. People aren't going to see you, so I'm just going to spell it out. You're female. You're black. You've got like a massive smile on your face. Um, tell me about your, in a nutshell, I know you can't encapsulate 27 years mm. in a couple of minutes, but what informed you such that to, to do what you do today? Hmm. Uh, basically, the, what I said before about everything happens as it should really plays a role in all of this for me. Um, I, I grew up uh, normalizing a type of physical and sexual abuse that happens for any person who, who starts in that area you know, of life not knowing anything different. Oh, okay? okay, so during that time, yeah. as a toddler growing up, wow. um, it was only until grade three that I realized, you know, that's when you learn the birds and the bees and all this good touch, bad touch. And I, I started to put things together. And the reason I started there with you, Karen, that is young. because, yeah. Wow, yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Wow. yeah, thank you. You know what, the, the, the reality is there's a lot more trauma out here in this world than we, we sometimes realize. I mean, 18, at least at this point, recognize areas of trauma. So we have a lot of people walking around, over 90% of our world walking around having been traumatized in, in one way or another. And, you know, adverse childhood experiences, which it's now called as well, is something that is so much more prevalent than we actually realize. We're so good at hiding it. And so for me, what carried me through once I began to realize what's, what was wrong with my experiences in my life at that point um, was true to soul. Not quite as it is now, but this, this pull that was only inside of me. It was nowhere else. I couldn't access it from anywhere else. Um, this thing that was uh, first awakened by religion, because I grew up in Catholicism, and then turned into something else. So the whole essence of what it is to be true to oneself was my salvation. Deeper than religion, deeper than even what we call spirituality. It was this, this thing that couldn't be touched by any of the experiences that I was having. Now, a lot of times we want to just paint things in a very black and white way and say, oh, your childhood must have sucked. It must have been awful, blah, blah, blah. The reality is there's contrasts. And so for me, I also had contrast. I had a mother who had no idea and was mm -hmm. so loving and so strong and was part of my ability, my ability to create that be true to who you are um, mantra in myself in my head, um, when I went to bed, you know, scared shitless, you know, it, it, was, it was her um, as a matriarch that allowed me to access that, know what that could be like, remember that again, because I assert that we come in whole, we come into this world whole, and you know, things happen, life events happen, traumatic incidents happen, and create layers and filters on top of it. So as I grew older, um, you know, the, the different types of traumas and abuse actually went into my, my early teens. And so as I grew early, older, I found ways to survive and survive. When I say survive, I mean like mentally keep things intact. Um, one of the ways that I did that was just trying to help others all the time. I was always trying to do for others what I thought I couldn't do for myself. I was always thinking, okay, how am I going to Safe, safeguard my sisters? How do I make sure all my family gets to heaven? How do yeah. I, you know, save my friends? I remember one time I brought a, a friend at school who was um, also being abused. Um, she was alone with, it, it was her father she was living with. And we used to just confer with each other all the time. And one day she said she couldn't go back home. So I brought her to my home. And I remember my mom was just like, okay, who's this? <laughs> What's going on? We have an extra person. But my mom was such, and her mother was the same, where it was, she never let my friend know or see that. She was just kind of like, we have food, we have shelter. She's good, but I need to know, you know, we need to know who, where she lives and, and make sure that's all good. Anyway, so my, the way that I dealt with things was being uh, that 
saving grace for people. Mm. And so as I grew up and grew older, volunteerism became my outlet for that. Um, you know, just finding spaces where I could feel worthy, where I could feel like I, I was doing something. And so policing came along because uh, at about maybe my late, late, early teens, actually, late uh, prepubescent, I identified law as a place that I want to go to be able okay. to help others and advocate. And so I didn't come from the type of uh, family life where I could just, I had money for post-secondary. I had to work for it. So I put myself into college so I can become a paralegal so that I can make money to go to school. And while I was in there, uh, a couple of my girlfriends and I, we were sitting there in court in Toronto, just doing observing for the paralegal course. And a few of the court officers tried to hit on us. So in the midst of all of that, one of them, you know, set his sights on me and we're sitting there talking and I'm like, so not responding. Not so not interested. And so he decided to speak to me seriously. He said, what are you doing in this course? I said, well, I'm trying to make some money to go to law school. And he says, what if I told you that you can actually get some practical experience as opposed to being in this program, make some money and then go to law school. I was like, how would I do that? He goes, become a police officer. I was like, hmm. And actually, and no, actually he didn't say police officer. He said court officer at that time. So I joined, I applied, I went through the rigmarole, I got on. But as soon as I got on is when I began to pay attention to police officer. Oh. Because I would talk to people who came into the cells, anything from, you know, for anything under the sun. And all of their stories began with the police officer. And not in good ways. A lot of them were stories of like, you know, abuse of power or how they were mistreated or how angry they were, how they hated, da 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 and that's when I kind of shifted. I shifted my, my attention from law for a minute. And I decided I really just wanted to be in that space because I felt like that's where I needed to be in order to help people. I wanted, because I, having worked as a police, a, a court officer at that time, I knew that not everybody in uniform was bad. And I was fortunate enough that I didn't have a lot of bad experiences with the police up until that point. I had some, you know, back in Saskatchewan, which is where I lived. It was KKK territory at the time. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that was, uh, you know, the, the police experiences I had had to do with stuff that would happen between the, you know, supremacist and my, you know, dad over in some work site or, or whatever. And, <laughs> and so, but even then, even though, you know, there were times when I would see the police and maybe they were coming to talk to my dad, I never had this kind of like negative stereotype. So I thought, I'm going to go become a police officer. So I trained, I applied, I got on, and then I forgot about law for a good while. <laughs> um, so, but my community work, which preceded my time on the job uh, at, with Toronto Police, kept going. I was always in community, always in volunteering. And uh, I combined the two. So that, that true to soul just stayed with me. It, 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 it always pulled at me. It was my compass. It allowed me not to get lost in just because I had some tools on my hip that I was going to become this like, whatever, I'm going to save the world and, you know, kick some ass and put on some handcuffs and drag people to jail. I always had this kind of, am I, am I doing the right thing? I don't want ever to, for someone to feel like I felt that I still had that pain, you know, walking around with me. I didn't want anybody to feel that way. So I always strove to, to be that person that would make someone feel okay that would let people feel safe because deep inside, and this is something that I process as I've healed and I've trained and, and you know, gone through my own counseling over the years. I needed people to feel safer than I felt when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And so that always guided me to what I did and how I did it on the job. Um, you know, being authentically who I was, having people understand this uniform isn't walking on its own, there's a human being in it. So I was always trying to bridge those worlds, the community world and the, and the policing world. And, and then eventually I remembered, oh yeah, that law school thing. So I was, uh, I became pregnant, um, even though I wasn't supposed to be able to become pregnant. And during that time, when I remembered about law school, I decided to write my LSATs, uh, went off to law school um, with my child. And that was- as, as, your, as a police officer still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I took the time. I took the time to have my child, okay. my mat leave. And it was during the mat leave that, it was before the mat leave that I wrote the LSATs, successfully applied 
and, and got into the university or to the law school. Um, and during my mat leave that I, I began the law school and I had this wonderful like plan A, plan B, plan C going on. And I thought, okay, I'm going to transition from law enforcement into law. And by then I think I had maybe eight years in policing. So I thought that's a perfect practical experience to go into law with. And my intention was to become an advocate in public policy, dealing with the human rights, because that was my passion. And what I discovered, Kareem, was that my propensity was business, um, because they have tort law and, <laughs> and contract law. And I enjoyed, enjoyed public law. But uh, I, I learned where my talents uh, laid, lied, laid. And so <laughs> Basically, a few things happened that year. Uh, being on my own with a baby in the, the hardest year of law school. Um, he was also asthmatic at the time. And, and uh, so I actually had to come back to Toronto um, for the specialists uh, and the newborn, the pediatric specialist to deal with his, his asthma. Um, where I was going to law school was like the highest incident of asthma in the country. And that's where I chose to bring him at the time, not knowing that. So we came where back to this? Toronto in Halifax. Halifax, Nova Scotia. So oh, I went to Dalhousie, Weldon Law. Yeah. And so they allowed me to complete my first year um, remotely. Uh, the last little while I, you know, I spoke with the dean and, and there are a couple other factors when, when my police service realized, hey, what are you doing on mat leave? I'm like, hmm, I'm doing law school. It's not like I'm trying to hide it. I'm on mat leave. And so they were basically, yeah, you, you need to come back. Otherwise, uh, you're AWOL. So I was like, okay. So all these things combined, I went back, went back to work. I decided to forego the law school until my child was older and, uh, and out of the woods when it came to, to asthma. Sure. And uh, yeah, when I got back, I was kind of angry. I didn't feel supported. I felt that oh. I, I'd given a lot to the service in those eight years. And uh, so I felt almost like, betrayed. It was a, a feeling of betrayal. So I was, I was not a happy camper. But I can tell you that it reminded me of my why. It brought me back to the truth of why I was doing what I was doing. Um, before I became pregnant, I was actually going to become a sergeant. Everyone was pushing for me to go for sergeant. You need to, you know, your brain, the way you think, you need to go up in the ranks. And so I started on that path, not realizing that's not what I wanted. But when I went to law school and I was away from everything and, you know, just me, myself and, and my baby, I realized that that's not what I really wanted. And I realized that law wasn't even what I really wanted. That's when True to Soul started to become a, an idea, an entity outside, outside of just being my survival mechanism. It became something that I understood was what, was what I was really passionate about, having safe spaces, um, you know, creating safe spaces, not within policing only, not within schooling, not just in one space. I wanted um, a space that was dedicated to people feeling okay to be who they truly are, understand that they're supported and not have that support just flag and wane because they're not following the rules as it's been set out. Mm -hmm. And so as time went on, because I had by that time had 10 years in this policing job and I was really questioning, like, what, what am I doing? I love, I love policing, but this isn't it. Not for the rest of my life. I thought it was law and I realized it's not that either. What is it? What is it that I'm here to do? What am I meant to do? And as I sat with it, um, I started to explore uh, training that I had engaged in earlier on in my life in holistic training. I began to experiment to figure out what gave me my buzz, where my ideas were coming from. And it turned out to be um, creating safe spaces and being that person that offered support for people, no matter what it is that they were going through, that pertained to experiences that were similar to mine. Mm. Um, I spent a lot of the time up to then hiding a lot of that, um, you know, behind masks, behind different camouflage, so no one would figure out that I had that kind of painful history. And so when I started to understand that it was because of my history that I had this, this uh, tendency to understand people and not shy away from the pain of, of that experience and understand what type of support is needed. That's, that's when it, it began to really take some good foothold in me, this idea of creating safe spaces that were inclusive. Um, uh, every time I would encounter some kind of adversity uh, that would 
ignited me some other kind of like idea. It's like, ah, oh, you need a safe space for this type of experience. You need, and it became so big that I thought, oh my gosh, like what, what could possibly be created that would allow for people in all these areas to feel okay. Yeah. Um, at first I thought I had to create safe spaces in each industry. And then I realized I had to create a safe space outside of all of those spaces, all of those industries that it stands on its own. And then each industry can tap into it. Um, so what ended up happening was I went back to school um, for holistic practitioner training. Okay. I, I, yeah, I pursued some information, uh, some training in the area of business. I, you know, just started absorbing a lot of information and where I worked in policing, I had, connect with a lot of people in the different industries, education, health, um, you know, business, everywhere, uh, public, uh, public servants in the government. And in each area, I would match up with people who were as passionate about this type of work as I was, which is trauma recovery, essentially. That's why I okay. finally was able to define it as just being able to support people through developing an understanding of how our experiences creates this magnificent fortitude that no one else um, has unless you've gone through it uh, as long as you know as long as we survive there is this strength that we have nothing short of our experiences can take us down that that's what I, I ask people to to learn from any of our our experiences right as long as we, we actually haven't succumbed to it, then we have something that we need to share and we have something that, uh, that can guide us through life that's absolutely unmatched. So yeah, that's, I don't even know if I answered your question at this point, but uh, <laughs> true to soul, true to soul came out of that, out of my yeah. own personal and professional experiences that tried the metal of who I am. And I realized that I'm still here. Uh, so, my journey is something that I share so that it can inspire people to know that we all have this. We all have the ability to surmount whatever it is that we approach, as long as we understand that, um, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to hide. It's nothing to, you know, try to pretend like it didn't happen because it's a fundamental piece of our life experience. Nice. So how do, how do people engage with, with you or with with your organization true to soul are, are they sort of referred by health practitioners by community representatives how does that work yeah that's pretty much it so it's a mixture okay. a mixture of ways i've i have people who will um see me speak or hear me speak and reach out to me through true to soul or it depends um if you're talking about community oftentimes i'll be getting phone calls i still get a lot of phone calls um, versus email. Um, and it still comes through the policing channel. Um, throughout my career, I would have uh, people who would call from, you know, the different areas and tell me about an experience, some kind of inequitable experience um, that they've, ex they've had and ask for advice as to how to deal with it. Um, I've had people contact me through other practitioners, um, through email or through the website, truetosoul.com. Um, just asking for help to deal with a system uh, that's inequitable. Oftentimes, most of the calls I get has to do with trauma, trauma recovery, so getting coached through that, or an inequitable system, health, education, and policing, and how do they deal with it. People who feel alone, um, that they don't have an advocate to go through a system that they don't even understand. Um, oftentimes, what usually gets me the most is when people feel like, there's nothing I can do, nothing's gonna change anyway. Even when I was in policing and people would call up, call up and say, this is what happened to me. And I'd say, okay, do you have the, the, the badge number? What, when did this happen? Did you take some kind of information down? They'd be like, what's the point? Like, where am I gonna go with that? Who's gonna to listen to me? And that always makes my, break, my heart break just a little bit, only because I'm just one of those people that, um, I know what it feels like to be alone. I know what it feels like to feel alone, completely alone. And I also know what it feels like to realize that that's not true, that there's someone out there who's gone through something similar. 
and that there are so many resources out here, not just true to soul, not just me, but people who are just willing to, to stand beside someone who has a fight in front of them. Uh, just, you know, last week, I think it was, I was talking to someone who's in, who was re-traumatized by her counselor. You know, this is, this is, this is why I do the work that I do because people that are meant to help, whether we're talking about police, um, doctors, psychologists, when we have someone who actually re-traumatizes the person who's vulnerable, it's the worst transgression in our society. It is because, you know, for a person to come forward, who's been victimized, who's vulnerable, it takes a courage to even do that, to take that step. Mm. So to, to take that step and then have someone like slap you back down again, someone that you're kind of like, I'm just going to expose myself to you for a minute so that I can heal. That's just the worst thing ever. So people find me through um, a word of mouth, through referrals, yeah. um, having heard me speak in something or in some spot, um, they'll hit up the site, they'll send emails and that yeah. sort of thing, um, or peer to peer. Like I have people who actually are practitioners themselves okay. um, hit me up as well. Yeah. Very good. Kayla, this has been awesome. I can't believe almost an hour. That's crazy. As yeah. We just started chatting. So listen, <laughs> before I let you go, a couple of things. Uh, first, tell me one thing most people don't know about you. Hmm. Uh, there's so many. <laughs> um, yeah, I have uh, I, I have a really potty mouth. <laughs> I can have a really potty mouth, and most people don't know that because I put it I put it undercover. You're so professional. But, uh, you know, you got to be professional. But you know, being police for for a couple of decades. It's kind of tough to not have one, but I have a really dark sense of humor um, that comes out of that job. I guess it's a coping mechanism. Um, yeah, yeah, I think there are other little things, but I don't know if I should be like revealing all of that. Uh, yeah, that's pretty well it. I have a potty mouth. I have this smile and this look that looks really like innocent and then I'll F-bomb and people will be like, <gasps> but yeah. yeah. You, ju- you just sparked something in my mind I want to ask you about. <laughs> Um, not too long ago, I finally started and finished watching The Wire. Oh! So tell me, as a former cop, your thoughts on the TV show The Wire? To be honest, Have you seen I it? Was, yeah, I don't okay. watch cop shows. Okay. And, and uh, I've just never been inclined. I felt like I got my fill um, <laughs> just from being on the job in Toronto, which, you know, I don't know if it is now because Vancouver and Montreal are doing pretty well, but it used to be like the busiest in Canada for police services. So I wasn't interested in like filling up on that sort of stuff, but because of the acting, I'm aware of just the excellent writing for that show. And, you know, sometimes for consultation and that sort of stuff, I get exposed to, to uh, those types of shows, but um, yeah, most cop shows I, I find are just kind of unrealistic. in in the way that they're portrayed. But that one, I'm told, is an exception that is really well done. I can't say from my own experience, I haven't watched it. Fair enough, I I didn't, I I should have known, you know, if you you sort of, (laughs) you work at it, why why sit down and watch it all over again? (laughs) You'd be surprised. There are some coppers that are just kind of like, no, all over that stuff, just all over the shows. (laughs) And I think everyone's got their own thing, but I, you know, there's, there's some things that, that's just one of the things that I would never really be interested in watching, especially the ones that, you know, CSI and that sort of thing, I used to watch every once in a while, um, because forensics was uh, one of those areas that I was interested in back in the day in my career as well. Yeah. But even that has had its effect on policing. Like, people will call up and be like, you know, I want to be a police officer. I just want to go straight to forensics. Is that okay? And I'd be like... <laughs> not quite or people would be like can you solve this by tomorrow (laughs) yeah can you get that done it's like no this is not csi though they found this killer in like 45 minutes yeah can't you do it (laughs) why not oh my goodness kata this has been a blast tell me people want to uh 
to check out what you're up to, what you're doing, what you're all about, where can they go? For me as a professional, for acting, for speaking, coaching, or as a minister, which, yeah, it's ironic that I have a potty mouth and an, I'm an ordained minister, but they're not mutually exclusive. Yes, you can go to beingkata.com. So for True to Soul, where we have, it's business support, support for business professionals. If you're looking for, um, um, you know, anything from VA services to uh, virtual clinic services, uh, teaching workshops and that sort of thing, that's truetosoul.com. And for community people who are looking for um, support in either mental, physical, or emotional type of support, that's also at truetosoul.com. Awesome. Kata, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Same, same. Take care. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.